This is Kim Barkis with the HR Open Standards Consortium. Many of our listeners have worked on an implementation or are planning to in the near future. Wouldn't it be great to have some tips to help prepare for your next implementation? Alan Whitford, an HRIS consultant and longtime HR Open advocate, will be sharing his implementation experiences and his lessons learned to give you a head start on your next project. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Hi, Kim. Great, great to speak with you today. Great. I think the audience would be very interested in learning about you and your background. Can you give us a brief history of your experience in HR and implementations? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I'm an American, but I've lived in Europe for about 30 years. I've had a long history in recruitment, first working in front agency and then in-house and then with my own search firm, working with a lot of uh, startups in the technology sector. And, and one of those technology startups was one of the early recruitment systems, Resumix. And from that point on, I really got heavily involved in the whole tech idea that supports both HR and recruitment, whether it's developing systems, selecting and implementing them, built a couple, and for either just, you know, single country organizations here in the UK or multinational organizations. During that sort of process, evolving my career, if you will, I uh, ran into the whole HRXML as it was then, I think from one of my early, uh, you know, systems con- contacts. And I got kind of got drawn into helping get HRXML set up in Europe. I've kind of stayed in touch with it and watched it over time. During a lot of my implementations, they may have been for a point solution, but there's always integrations with other systems that happen across, you know, across the piece of those sorts of implementations. Thank you. You've definitely been involved with HR Open for years. I recall a meeting in Europe where you're one of the presenters. Can you share some of other ways that you've promoted HR Open in the standards? Absolutely. I, I've always believed in it right from those early days that it just made a whole bunch of sense to have a nice, sensible middleware, not you know continually building new sets of APIs every time you went to do something. So in any time when I'm uh, doing an implementation and we're talking about, well, how's that going to integrate to my core HR or to my recruiting system or to my payroll system? I'm always saying, hey, don't you know about uh, what is now HR open? And, and oftentimes I'm having that conversation with vendors themselves who may have actually been founder members or early members of, of the HR uh, Open Standards Consortium. And one of those challenges is that I'll talk about it and they don't, they don't even know about it because somebody somewhere else in their business has been involved um, in helping develop the standards. Yes, that has been a challenge. We've had large organizations participating with one person being heavily involved, but other areas that aren't even aware of the standards. How do you go about working with them to resolve this? Well, firstly, I point them to the website and say, hey, go have a look. <laughs> you know, there's a whole bunch of standards there that you, could be, that you could be using that possibly shorten the integration cycle. Of course, one of the challenges, and we know this, you know, you and I have dealt with vendors for a long time, is somewhere in their building, there's a professional services team that really wants to sell a whole bunch of you know, development and integrations because that's what their job is. And there's a sales team that just wants to sell new modules. And sometimes they don't actually meet in, you know, in the middle. So all we can do is, as, a, as an integrator or implementer coming from outside is try and encourage them to look at those standards and, and engage with those standards and use them wherever possible. Great. So you mentioned a little bit about recruiting and payroll, but HR encompasses the entire work cycle from hire to retire for a person. What are some of the areas, including the ones you'd mentioned, that folk, that you focus on? For me, it is, you know, almost you might say cradle to grave or hire to retire. 
when you're working with an organization, you know, I think particularly from the recruitment perspective, uh, a lot of organizations make it seem really complex, but it's, it's actually a fairly simple, straightforward process, which is identify what you need, put into place an attraction strategy, sift and select and hire, and then let them retire at some later point. A lot of organizations have this as multiple different processes. There's different parts of the organization that are in charge of it. So what I try and do in the work that I've done is, one, I always kind of revert back to the recruitment piece because that's where it all starts. If we haven't recruited people, then we don't really need to put them into an HR system or actually pay them <laughs> because we haven't brought them in. But more recently, I was responsible for rolling out an integrated HR system across 27 countries. So we had the core HR, we had payroll, we had time and attendance, but we didn't have the recruitment module. That was a separate um, system entirely. Funnily enough, that's why I originally got brought into the company to look at was the recruiting system. And one of those challenges is they were still in old world mode, which was get them, run them through the recruitment system and then create a couple folders and email them or even walk them over to the HR team and go, hey, look, here's your new employee data. Can you go ahead and plug it into manually into your HR system? It's also a challenge from the whole data privacy side. And I know we got some pretty strong data privacy regulations in the U.S., but Europe has really put it on steroids, if you will, the last 18 months and the new GDPR regulations about data privacy uh, and the data you can retain and where do you pick it up and when you bring it in is causing a lot of challenges for organizations that have multiple systems and trying to figure out what data should be in which part of the process and in which system and how do we move it across and then how do we delete it because the candidate now has a lot of rights to say, hey, take my data away. Um, I don't want you to have it anymore. That's something that I'd like to talk about in a future discussion, because we do have a lot of interest in how the standards manage data privacy for personal data. In your career, you've worked with a variety of companies managing their system integrations. What are some of the challenges you've had with those integrations and what would you recommend? I think, you know, typically the, the first main issue is a lack of preparation before the implementation starts. In reality, a lack of preparation before the selection starts. Too many times we see a solution selected by, let's say the IT department or the HR department, and they haven't brought into the selection process the actual subject matter experts or the people that it actually is going to impact on a day-to-day -day basis. So we end up with a system being selected that hasn't necessarily had some of the prep work done beforehand, which is, well, if we're going to put in payroll, have we realized that in fact we've got seven different payroll providers in our business, we've got 10 different pay dates, maybe we should rationalize that stuff first before we start to, you know, configure and implement the new payroll. Well, the same thing at, say, time and attendance systems. Do we actually need to be collecting time and attendance? Do we need people to be clocking in and clocking out? What are we doing to manage that? Is it, you know, some guy in a clipboard standing at the door saying, yep, everybody's here? Or is it a more sophisticated system? A lot of them have gone, for example, uh, time and attendance systems of using biometric, using your thumb or an eye. Well, that's great, really cool, except a lot of countries reject, reject that. Um, they say, for example, it's a nice idea, but unless you're a nuclear facility, we don't really see why you're asking for a thumbprint. So that kind of preparation beforehand and understanding what you really need to do have we documented those processes? Have we documented the existing systems that are already in place so that we can understand what's compliant, what isn't compliant to possible new legislative requirements? Um, I saw last year Spain changed a number of requirements and the HR systems they had in place were way out of date. 
the vendors had disappeared. And the only way for them to become, to become compliant was to go into the marketplace and buy a new system because they couldn't be compliant otherwise. So changes in legislative requirements, understanding what you've already got in place, what needs to be connected or not. Is it something where, well, we've only got 40 people in that office. Do we really need to have them on a time and attendance system? We've already got a payroll provider that's providing this locally. Do we need to go to a global payroll solution? I think that sort of lack of preparation beforehand, big hole that a lot of companies fall into. Those are some great examples. Now, the topic of this podcast is Implementation 101. Are you missing something? What are a few of the things that the clients have missed? And how did you work with them to resolve those issues to make the implementation go more smoothly? Sure. The the key thing for me, plan, 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 and resource, resource, resource. (laughs) You know, there's never enough resource. Uh, This project that I was on for three years, for the first 15 months, I was the only resource. We didn't even have HR people in all the countries we were looking to roll out to. Clearly that was meant we were under-resourced, you know. (laughs) Um, And I think it's, it's an easy one for organizations to miss. And a lot of this comes down to who owns the project to begin with. Is it IT owned? In which case, there's probably a better chance for some more resource, but they won't have the subject matter expert. If it's an HR-driven project, they'll have the expertise, but they won't have the resource to implement it because HR always struggles to get enough resource into their building. To me, that, that's the number one piece. We underscope the resource required to actually put things in place, uh, whatever part of the, the HR community or HR systems you're trying to put in. And then that leads to a planning perspective. Do we actually have a project manager who knows how to plan? If it's an IT project, almost certainly we have a project manager in place. They'll have a project, you know, they'll have a PMO, um, you know, lots of people that know how to, to run projects. But then we have to train them on what the application is all about. And I think it varies a little bit if it's obviously most systems today are cloud-based. In fact, we don't really need IT very much. We just need them to make sure the network is up. But if I don't have someone planning the project who understands that bit, then it's, then it's a challenge. This is a little off topic, but one of the challenges I found in past implementations was getting the buy-in from the user. A decision comes from the upper management to make a change, but the end user of the system may not be comfortable with that. It can be difficult to get buy-in, especially from ones that are actually going to be using the systems. Have you had similar issues and how did you handle that? You see it every day. If I look at that last project I was on when we finally hired HR people, so I had one HR person in Italy, one HR person in Germany, one HR person covering Spain and France. You know, I had half an HR person in in Holland, uh, half an HR person in Singapore, and they've got about seven or eight or nine different HR projects that they're supposed to be working on during the course of the year. You know, they're supposed to be working on performance management. They've got to work on, you know, the employee survey. They got a whole bunch of stuff. And my HR system is about one eighth of what they have time to put time into. And so they consider me just a pain. Like, when, when am I going to do your stuff? I got my day job to do. And that's when I talk about that resource challenge is it's not just at, at HQ resource. It's out there on the sites where you need to be putting this stuff in. You know, the site manager and time and attendance is going, I don't have time to play around with your system. I got to get out here and I got to turn the machines on. I got to get packaging out the door. I don't have time to work on your, on your new system. I got a clipboard. I'm good. Leave me alone. So it's a challenge about getting them to buy in. Some of it reverts back to what I mentioned earlier in the early stages of planning for your selection. If you didn't include them in the selection process, they consider your project to be what I used to call a seagull project. The seagull flies over and drops a load on the team, and they're just expected to clean it up. So if we didn't get them to buy in beforehand, 
you've got to do a whole bunch of work in terms of the communications and engagement and getting people to buy into it. What's in it for me? So you've got to build a lot of that. Well, why is this better for you? I know it's great that HQ wants better MI, but what does that do for you on your day-to-day job and why is it better for you? And that takes a lot more time. So again, when you look at your, your implementation time scale, you sat down with a vendor and said, okay, so it takes six weeks to do that and nine weeks to do that. So great, here's our plan. But that doesn't take into account any of that local communications, local resource gathering. Um, what are you going to do when you get to UAT? Uh, who's going to actually do that? Oh, we don't have anybody. All of that piece of planning, which is it may look like it's a two-month implementation. It could be six or nine months if you don't have that resource in place. Right. That's, that's really helpful. I think that something I found, too, is that you need to make sure you have the right people involved at the right time. It's, it's both of those pieces. Standards don't have a direct correlation to resource requirements, but do you think that they would have helped with some of the implementation issues you've had? Yeah, I, I think it would, because a lot of the challenges and a lot of the actual extra time that ends up in a project is figuring out how do we move data from point A to point B to point C. And I'm in a five-year-old payroll system and an eight-year-old time and attendance system and a brand new core HR system. If I got to go find somebody in IT or go outside, which is I'm seeing in my current Taleo-based project, to actually build the integrations, because I've got three different age systems here. And that probably wasn't part of anybody's plan at the start. They just said, oh, I got data there. That's easy. I'll just pick it up and move it over. Well, you and I have both been there enough times to know that that isn't as easy as it sounds. So having some standards in place during the scoping of the project, knowing what those standards are, what's available to help move that data across would also help in figuring out, you know, what am I going to need in timeframes? What pieces do I need to do? Do I need to go buy something else? Can I download those nice free standards from the, your consortium that I can use? It would definitely help, I think, if we had more attention to that early doors. And another benefit is the terminology. You mentioned HR people from different countries. Being able to have a common vocabulary that says what we're talking about, this bit of data, we all mean the same thing. I would imagine that would definitely have saved some time and resources up front so you wouldn't need to create those definitions from scratch. Absolutely. I think, you know, in the the project of the HR system, we spent weeks trying to come up with an agreed set of common terminologies across, you know, is that 20 something countries? Uh, So it wasn't just the language barrier per se, but it was, well, that group of people all learned American English and this group of people learned English, English, and that group of people learned, you know, Australian or South African English. So even though English was a common language, it wasn't really. In addition, I could see a term that a business or domain might use one way compared to how another business might use it. Even terms like job or position mean something different to many companies. So having these defined with input from a variety of organizations and countries would really help with the implementations. Yeah, we see that with onboarding now. It feels a pretty comfortable term to me. But when I talk to my colleagues in Italy, they went, what do you mean onboarding? So I I can understand the English word, but I don't understand what that means in terms of our process. We don't call it that. I think that would definitely be a good starting point. In one of our previous discussions, you'd mentioned the big picture for a rollout. Can you explain what you meant by that? I think it goes back again to a little bit of what we talked about earlier, but do I understand what the bigger picture is, what my organization needs to do over its next two or three years? You know, what is our plan? Has a CEO got plans to go out and make five acquisitions? In which case, I need to think about that in terms of as I start to select my new solution for whatever it is, recruitment, resourcing, whatever it might be. If I haven't planned for the capability and the flexibility to add two new countries and five new divisions, 
I'm in trouble. So what does that big picture look like? And, and that was one of the challenges we had in this last rollout is that I had a, a, an initial implementation in North America, which took one you know, systems org structure. And then we started to implement in Europe and we had a, one org structure in Hungary and a different org structure in, in the UK. So all of a sudden we got to a point where we had three different org structures and then management decided to change from being a geographically based org structure to a divisional based org structure, which meant in some cases I had to rebuild what I'd already implemented because we didn't have that view that the CEO that was coming in was going to make those sorts of changes because for some reason he and his management team didn't think that HR would need to know this which you know meant we had to go back and rebuild stuff. So we didn't actually, as an HR community, necessarily have the visibility of what it was going to happen to us. And some of that's on us as an HR community, like why didn't we go knock on the door of the new CEO and go, hey, what are you thinking before you decide to do something? Because this is the impact on what we're doing as a business. There's those kind of implications and business implications that we have to lead to. And at the same time, we may have said, well, we're making an acquisition. Well, they've got you know solution X. Well, we've just invested in a global rollout of solution Y and somebody's going to say, well, I've got X and it's working fine for me. Leave me alone. That's what I mean. That big picture sometimes is that we, we do our stuff in a, in a vacuum a lot of the time. And I think that happens a lot for HR in general. It's not one of the departments that people typically think about when they're planning the big picture. So that's good to point out that you need to follow up with the HR department. It, it can depend also on even changes within the HR community. So I started out on a project that one set of leadership and HR and finance leadership had chosen the solution. And 18 months later, they were all gone. Um, and the CEO had put in new leadership who hadn't actually been part of the original selection piece. And so then they, we spent six months reviewing what we had already put in to see if that's what we still wanted to stay with. And then said, yeah. And I said, well, thanks. You just cost me six months of my implementation timescale. <laughs> but but you have to go through that kind of review as well. Is what you decided three years ago fit for purpose today? Those are some great thoughts. Thank you. When you were going through integration, how would you plan long-term as far as any type of customization integrations or ongoing maintenance? You and I have both been there when everything was client-server and you, you configured everything to your, your organization. And when the updates came from the vendor, it was kind of like, oh, huh, how are we going to do those? The one thing that the cloud-based systems have done is standardize 90% of what you've got running and you configure in the other pieces so that if there's an update, a new release of the product, it shouldn't require too much change on your, on your side. And I spend a lot of time in implementations trying to convince people, do not customize. Do we really need that field to be, you know, in yellow instead of blue? You know, do we really need to, to have all of these customized fields? Why can't we just use what is standard? Let's stay as close to vanilla as possible and then configure the configurable parts later on. And I think, you know, most of the current solutions have that ability to just flick a switch on or off. So you're not negatively impacted by the new release that rolls out. Part of the, the challenges we used to have with client server-based systems kind of go away because of the cloud approach. That The flip side of that is for some organizations who say, well, we're special and what we do is really, really different. There's some communications and training and educating that we need to do as implementers to help them understand, well, you don't really need that to be yellow. It's just because you used to have it in yellow. Well, let's show you what it could look like in blue, like everything else. So that's, to me, that's, that's one of those still challenges as implementers that we have to think about educating our user base, again, very early in the process in terms of what do they really, really, really need versus what do they really, really want. And, and that's not always an easy conversation. That's really helpful. One last question before we end our session. Do you have any final recommendations when considering integrations? Don't do it. 
<laughs> That's probably not the one we wanted to use, was it? No. You know what? It's, it's interesting, Kim, because we've all been through that cycle, too, in which this year it's all about buy the point solution, buy the best recruiting solution, buy the best performance solution, buy the best payroll, buy the best each piece. And we'll use standards like your consortium provides, and we'll knit all of those together. And that way we'll end up with best of breed across the board. And then you'll go through that cycle and two or three laters, everything's going to be, nope, just buy everything from one vendor. They'll give me everything, right? So my integration challenge is less because I'm buying everything from one vendor. And my implementation challenge then is how am I getting all of my old data into my new shiny system? And I don't think there's one answer to that. I think the challenge is always that any core HR vendor came from a place where this was their area of expertise and they've added the, the other parts on. I think from a selection criteria perspective as, as an organization, you have to look at that and go, what are the most important parts to me? What do I really need to have really best of breed? And what are the parts that I'm kind of going, I'm okay with an average or slightly better than average solution for that part of the business, or I'm not going to change that anyway. That helps you decide on Am I going to do be knitting together a number of solutions or am I going to just going down to one store and buying everything from one guy? And then your challenges and implementation are different. Then they're about data conversion and, and those sorts of lovely challenges that you might have. Alan, thank you so much for your time sharing your exp integration experiences. I've enjoyed talking with you. It's been great. We hope our audience learned what to look for and be prepared for their next implementation. There are more resources available on our website, and you can follow us on social media at HR Open Standards. Thank you.